Hey, everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for February 10th, 2022. I'm Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of footballoutsiders.com. I am joined today by Scott Spratt, Rob Weintraub, and our special guest, Jeff Dockeray, a.k.a. Gridiron Chef Doc. We'll get to him in a second. want to thank all of you who are watching our live stream on uh, Twitch or on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, listening to us after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Please uh, feel free to bring on your comments and your questions if you're watching us live, especially because there is a prize coming for one of you, for one random reader who comments or asks a question during today's show. We're going to preview Super Bowl 56, but before we get to previewing the game on the field, we are going to preview the game at your house <laughs> with Gridiron Chef Doc, because let's be honest, uh, most of us are going to be watching this game at home, and you're going to want to have really good food for watching the game at home, and it is the biggest Sunday of the year for what Chef Doc calls home gating. It is National Home Gating Day. And uh, what a great way to celebrate. Good to be with, as I say, greetings and salutations to the entire Football Outsiders Nation. You guys have been a part of my life for about a decade now, so it's good to be on with you. And yeah, let's celebrate National Home Getting Day. By the way, as Aaron said, we've got a wonderful prize pack. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful day. You can use these products for your home gate around the NFL draft if you can't get to it, obviously, for Sunday. But uh, you guys want to hear some great recipes? I do, for you know, sure. Let's talk yeah. about recipes for good food and hacks to uh, better help you prepare for home gating. Absolutely. Um, you know, let's get to the hacks first because, it, it, you know, having hosted so many parties, there's so many things that we needed to publish this week to give you, to let you enjoy the day. Sometimes we spend the, the cooks spend the entire day in the kitchen. Me, unless you don't like the people in the living room or the family room or the man cave, you might want to spend a little extra time in the kitchen. But in the meantime, use for first off, first hack, um, stay out of the kitchen. Get your stuff done in advance. We'll get to that in a second. But um, use this Friday and Saturday to prep, marinate, do whatever you're going to do. And that leads to number two, marinate. Marinate some meats. Marinate vegetables. It's a great way to prep. And marinations, when boiled, make great finishing sauces. Uh, number three, a little term us in the culinary industry have used is mise en place, everything in its place, prep everything, prep your equipment, prep your food, your, uh, mirepoix, if you're making jambalaya, all your vegetables, get all that done and get it out of the way. Sharpen, sharpen your scissors and knives. So you don't have to worry about that. There's nothing like dull knives. And you got Bob's sister, Karen, who comes in and uses a dull knife and is chopping an onion and slices the top of her finger off. Wow. Sharpen your, sharpen your, uh, your scissors and your knives. You'll thank me later. The last no. thing you want to do, the last thing you want to do is have to go to the emergency room Amen. at 530 PM on Super Bowl Sunday. Yes, that is right. I've I've had that, believe me. I had somebody get heat stroke at okay. a uh, at a Super Bowl party. Overstock. Overstock your pantry with supplies and, and small wares. Get extra uh, red solo cups. Get extra paper plates. Have that all ready. Um, use your deck and porch. Fill your coolers with ice. Avoid traffic in the kitchen and the living room. 
or roll out, as I said in my, my supplementary hints, roll out a full game day bar into the viewing room so they're not tracking through the kitchen. Um, designated heroes. This is something very dear to my heart. I worked on a national program with Pepsi. We called it Zero Hero. Have two designated drivers. No drugs, no alcohol. And then you're going to celebrate these people. Don't just stay under the legal limit. We know there's a lot of ride programs after Super Bowl. We don't want any, you don't want to get that call at 12 o'clock at night from your local police saying, where did your party that night? And we know what civil liability is these days. Um, and then welcome contributions and rituals from your friends. I, I got buddies that I have to eat a raw oyster just before kickoff, um, you know, okay, whatever, fit it into your game day, let them contribute where possible, but be organized. A couple extra hints, uh, buy a second re universal remote, wrap it up and hide it in the food cupboard. Because somebody's going to lose the remote control, keep return it the next day. That's what I've done. Um, change the locks in the front door the day before, because you're always going to have some unwanted people that are here and you're having a big bash. And uh, a third little supplemental hint, roll out some AstroTurf in front of the TV on your living room or man cave rug, because you know there's going to be spillage and you're going to get heat from whoever is going to give you heat. Um, you know, you can hang, I, I work with a lot of man cave specialists, hang banners on the, garage door decorate your foyer with flags and balloons i mean give people the essence of the day and my last little supplement hint is is aggregate your screens in multiple rooms because we always know if there's 20 people in the same room somebody's going to get a some of the guac dip or somebody's dropped a chicken wing on the rug and they're running into the kitchen Give yourself multiple opportunities with the you know the dynamic screens and technology we've got. So those are those are my hacks, and you're going to post them. And there's lots of tricks of the trade. If you ever want to upper crust tailgate, we can do that. But what we've built for you on National Home Gating Day, shout out to my friend that owns that uh, at Tailgating Challenge, Luke. And that is, we're going to give you game day tapas. And it, tapas is a lot of little courses served throughout the day rather than filling a big meal. I went to a Super Bowl party a couple years ago where they mandated a sit-down dinner at halftime and it ran long. And I just could not do it. And I was trying to be kind, but no, serve a lot of little courses. Here's the food. We're going to give you, we're going to start off with guacamole, the third ranked food served on National Home Getting Day, and that is a grilled guacamole. We grill the avocados, the limes, the tomatoes, half the onion. It's got a nice, smooth taste, but it's got this beautiful char. That's our grilled guac, and we're going to serve that with fresh tortillas. Tailgate shrimp, any of you beer lovers out there, T apostrophe A-L-E. This is Cajun beer and butter shrimp with a beautiful Cajun spice. You're going to want to uh, serve this with crusty bread, mop it in the, in the shrimp, and the shrimp is delectable. Do not overcook the shrimp. The tailgate shrimp recipe is there. That is a, uh, a, a salute to my former commissioner of tailgating of the United States of America, the late Joe Kahn, one of the great New Orleans chefs who spent a lot of years on the road at NFL stadiums. National pizza, uh, this is the biggest pizza day, guys, as you would know. Um, there's going to be approximately 12.5 million uh, pizzas sold in the United States. So wow. instead of ordering out for pizza, 
We're going to give you a loaded pizza dip with cream cheese, onions, green peppers, mushrooms, mozzarella cheese, and of course, Parmesan cheese. And we're going to top it with a margarita pepperoni. And we're going to bake some beautiful pizza bread and serve that with the pizza dip. So you get the essence of a pizza. Our next course is called a Joe Burrito. From my friends down in New Orleans that love jambalaya and gumbo, which is part of the prize pack, we'll talk about in a second. The best jambalaya in America. Um, I have sat over a pot with Guy Fieri from Diners, Drives, and Dives. He would admit that is one of the best things you've ever tasted. It's a Joe Burrito, B-U-R-R-I-T-E-A-U-X. For the French from LSU in Cajun country was, was Joe's favorite food when he was at LSU. And then we're gonna we're gonna finish you with a Cadillac dessert, and that is chocolate peanut butter banana wontons. Yep. And you smear a little uh, peanut butter, and you you put a slice of banana on top, and then you put a Hershey's kiss, wrap that thing up, fry it for two minutes, top it with powdered sugar, let it sit for two minutes, or you'll burn your other otherwise you'll burn your chin, and you got this sweet and savory wonton you can eat just like most of the food you can eat it in one hand with a cold cerveza in the other so all those recipes aaron's got them i'm sure they're going to be out there and we'll that up with the um when we put up this on the site with the link to the video of the live stream i'll put up some of the recipes and the site is homegate tailgate nation.com correct tailgate homegate nation.com nation yeah we, I wrote the first ever article for home gating uh, for the NFL when I was the head chef at the Pro Football Hall of Fame about 10 years ago. And because of Corona, it's come full full steam ahead. I mean, there's so much, you know, you can home gate anything at home. I know one of the biggest home gates of the year is going to be the NFL draft this year. And uh, it's just a great way to take all that dynamic interactivity of tailgating for the $50 billion that is spent out there around our game day and bring it home, involve the family, break bread together and celebrate this sport that we love, that you guys celebrate. And it's with all this polarization of politics and Corona, what a great time to, to read football outsiders, get into your sport, break some bread. It's just a wonderful permeation of the four biggest brand building cultures for the NFL. So that's what we put together on national home getting day. And it's a great way to celebrate. Um, is that it's suitable to you guys? Yeah. Is that a suitable menu? That sounds yeah. great. And I think it sounds delicious. And now we just have to make the stuff. Um, the prize pack for one person who comments or asks a question during the show today includes a um, couple of cookbooks and then yep. mitts, I'll, chili, I'll, jambalaya, and gumbo. Yep. I'll, I'll run you through this quickly because we've had some additional contributions. We've oh, got wow. award-winning hot sauces from All Spice Cafe. You're going to get a full prize pack from Jambalaya Girl with award-winning jumbo uh, or jambalaya and gumbo. Uh, we have, we all have, we take these casserole tin pans to parties. Sometimes it's from the kitchen to the living room. Build decor out of Virginia Beach has got this beautiful compartmentalized plastic. You drop it in there, it seals it, it's thermal, keeps every, the casseroles uh, nice and warm. That's from Foil Decor. You'll love Party Companion. It is a reusable cardboard fold up tray 
in uh, the shape of a football field. You can put your drink, you can put your cutlery, or and you can put your plate right on there and hold it with two hands. And you can get those in, in various uh, themes, but the football one obviously is applied here. Beer mustard, winning beer mustard from our first cookbook person, Chef Tonya Wilson. You're, if you love beer, you're going to want to read Beer at My Table. She's going to send a book with the beer and mustard, one available. I know they're going to be a week or two. You'll get that. And then we've got chili mix from this is a big chili day. Uh, chili mix from a two-time world champion, Cindy Wilkins from Sin Chili. You're going to get award-winning chili mix. If you like to watch TV outside on the deck or you want to take it to the parking lot, my tea case is a protective plastic case for your TV with a shield up top from the sun. Great way to move the party outside. We've got additional books for you. Uh, the great Dana Falk. Uh, from hungryfan.com has given her game day cookbook. Um, it is a wonderful read of great game day recipes. And then uh, we really just say one day of the year, we really encourage women to get out there and grill. If you really want to take the party to another level, go grill something. And a lot of people have got their acumen in the kitchen and not at the grill. Well, I've got an ambassador on my company called Robin Linders. She's called Grill Girl. You will get a subscription, maybe for your wife or your girlfriend or your daughter, to a magazine called Grill Girl. And there's lots of recipes. She's also going to send you a healthy smoker cookbook, as well as an award-winning all-purpose rub and rimmer for your cocktails. And so we're also working on a few other things, but all of these, Aaron and crew, all of these are available for you to use for the NFL draft to make a really great home gate. And it's a wonderful prize pack we're, we're happy to give to football outsiders. Well, that's awesome. So again, just chat or ask a question in the uh, comments of the uh, live stream, and we will pick a random commenter and give them this prize pack at the end of the show. Thank you so much, Gridiron Chef Doc. Again, the URL is tailgatehomegatenation.com. You can reach me at tailgatehomegatenation uh, at gmail.com if you want any recipes. We have award-winning chefs from the 30-year chef at the White House to Amazon Prime and Food Network chefs. We have contributions, uh, and we're happy to outfit your tailgate or home gate party. Guys, I want to tell you, I'm a massive fan of Football Outsiders. Aaron, while I'm on with you, I want to tell you, Football Almanac is the quintessential. Read at the beginning of season. I re I ref Keep it. Sorry, keep it in the bathroom. It is a great bathroom reader throughout the entire <laughs> NFL season. And I'm going to tell you, uh, Mike, uh, I called him Mike Tanier. I know you've been screwing around with his name. But Mike is one of the best long-form writers. Rob and Scott, I've read your stuff. All great contributions to a quintessential website. We are all about analytics, uh, us junkies. So there's nothing to celebrate this National Home Getting Day than the greatest game on earth and the wonderful support culture that you guys bring to the sport. Please have a great one. Thank you for the kind words, Ooh. Gridiron Chef Doc. We appreciate it. And, Thanks, uh, Chef Doc. We are all ready for what that gets us all ready for the game before the game, getting ready for the game and eating during the game. Now let's talk about the game on the field. Rob Weintraub is here, our resident Bengals fan. 
basically, you are here to, we love your Boomer Esaias in Jersey. By the way, I'll point out, yesterday, I tweeted out some numbers about Boomer Esaias and um, Jim Everett and how good, <laughs> how they were underrated. Boomer Esaias yeah. did not respond to me. <laughs> Jim Everett did respond to me. Sure, it wasn't um, Chris Everett, right? No, I think it was Jim Everett, not Chris Everett. That's correct. Um, so you've got your Boomer Esiason jersey on. You're ready for the game. And I think you basically are here to, I guess, defend the Bengals' honor against my besmirching them. Uh, because, I mean, both Mike, who is currently in transit to Los Angeles right now, both Mike and I have sort of taken the position of, look, the Rams are just better. And there certainly are ways for the Bengals to win this game. And it's not, you know, it's it's not even close to being out of the realm of possibility for the Bengals to win this game because they've already beaten a team as good as the Rams. They did that two weeks ago when they beat the Chiefs. But the Rams are properly favored. Is this the same uh, Mike Tanier or Tanier, as I guess I'm supposed to call him, that uh, spent his entire uh, Football Outsiders Almanac essay besmirching, as you would say? I would say ad hominem attacking my Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals. One after Yeah, another. the Bengals essay looks really bad in retrospect. <laughs> Although next year when I write the uh, Bengals essay, I will just put it back up there as a tit-for-tat refutation of everything Mike wrote about Cincinnati and how they uh, basically took Mike as a season long, you know, sort of in the way major league, you know, took their ownership as a uh, rallying cry to stick it to, uh, to her and reach the uh, championship. And that I think the Bengals did the same with Mike's essay. They had it up in the locker room the entire time. That's just what I heard. I don't know if that's true. Well, I mean, the Bengals, the preseason over under was super low. And yet all of our writers, me included, were like preseason over for our, our staff predictions. We all picked the Chargers instead of the Bengals as the second year quarterback we wanted to ride with. So yeah. a bit of a yeah, myth I mean, by literally all of us. Listen, I Joe, was injured. Was you know, he was out, out of set, out of mind, I feel like a little bit. Right. I mean, that was that was natural. I don't think that. I don't even think it was about Burrow. Like to me, it's really the defensive improvements have been pretty shocking. And I'm sure we'll talk today that maybe the defense hasn't been as good over the full course of the season as the reputation now suggests they have been, but they still took major step forwards on that side of the ball. Yes, yeah. the defense has not been as good over the course of the season as we're now talking about them. Um, although I will point out by EPA, the Bengals' defense is more impressive than they are by DVOA. DVOA had them only 19th. EPA per play has the Bengals' defense 10th. I mean, you know, the teams in the middle of the league this year were so tightly grouped together, there's not that much difference between 10th and 19th. But I should, you know, in the Bengals' favor, point out that other metrics did have their defense higher than we did, but it's not like one of the top defenses in the league. And that was something that was true of the entire team, really, all season. We were always talking about the dichotomy between the Bengals and their record and their EPA and several other advanced metrics and how DVA was either selling them or, you know, putting a little bit of a get on top of uh, us Bengals fans, but yeah, I, you know, they were a boom and bust team on both sides of the ball all year. And I think that's reflected in the DVOA. That's not anything, you know, particularly new to the team fans. And really yes. the difference between what's happened in the post and versus all season long has has been the turnovers, timely turnovers and, and situational plays that they sometimes made, but mostly didn't during the regular season. You know, you hate to break it down to something as simple as getting hot or, or playing hot, hot and getting the 
breaks at the right time, but I don't think there's any doubt factor in how Cincinnati has uh, been able to hold these teams, you know, down under 20 in the first two games and, and only 24 in the fifth quarter included against Kansas City. You know, and they obviously have had a great second half against the Chiefs in both the uh, both games they played against them. But, you know, it wasn't because on a down-by-down down basis the, the Bengals were, were dominating the other team's offense. It was making plays when they had to in key situations and and taking advantage of them. And that's that's something that a lot of teams Super Bowl do and win the Super Bowl. And, that, you know, that's, there's a long history of that. And I'm sort of banking on that continuing on Sunday for sure. Yeah, I mean, I will point out that the Bengals were very inconsistent this year. And whenever we talked about the Bengals on the show, we talked about how inconsistent they were. Yeah. When you're the underdog, you want to be inconsistent. Right. Because it means your highs are higher and your lows are lower. So if their lows are lower, they lose. But if their high is higher, they win. So as the you know the Rams want to go out there and play a game that matches their general games from the season, and the Bengals want to go out there and come out on a high, the fact that they're inconsistent as an underdog is probably a good thing. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. That sounds like a, a song lyrics, though. You know, you want your high to be high and your lows to be low, and you don't ever. Uh, you know, it's funny because there Joe is Burrow, a song out there like that somewhere, or it's a line <laughs> the Chong, yeah, try every country song ever. Basically, it's a Cheech and Chong routine. He's one or the other. I'm not sure which. Ain't no um, quarterback high enough. Uh, well, the funny thing is, everybody talks about how Joe Burrow is in you know, this baseline, never gets too high, never gets too low, and yet the team is up and down all around him. He's sort of, uh, you know, the guy. I in the think middle. Burrow does get high and low. He's very dependent on big plays, mostly to Jamar Chase, and he does throw interceptions and lots and lots of sacks. There's been an interesting argument about how good his pocket presence is. I have to admit, I came away from the playoff games thinking his pocket presence was not good. He just took some sacks where it was like they were covered sacks. He needed to get rid of the ball. But at the same time, there are some people online, especially Ted Nguyen from The Athletic, who've posted some film about Burroughs' pocket presence that have convinced me that his pocket presence is a lot better than I gave him credit for. He still, I think, is responsible for some of the sacks that he takes. It's not just the offensive line, but he has shown remarkable pocket presence in getting away from the pressure that that offensive line uh, allows. Although we, we should be honest, uh, he does not scramble as much as he did against the Chiefs, right? Like yeah. he is not a super scrambler for the regular season. Like the scrambles he had against the Chiefs were like his best scrambles all year. Often, yeah. Well, there's a couple of things there. A, to the latter point, I think we should remember really the first half of the season was very much him tiptoeing back into the idea of playing football at that speed. They were really conservative as an offense. He was conservative on that knee. I think there's a clear, if you watch him very carefully, obviously, as I have, you can see it in his mannerisms in the way he played before and after the bye week were clearly different. And even the way he talked about it, uh, the knee, I mean, you know, saying, you know, uh, he made a play against the Steelers. I think it was in the second game where he deked out Minka Fitzpatrick at the goal line. Afterward, he said, yeah, that was the first time I really felt, you know, my old self again. And I think that, you know, I mean, listen, he had a catastrophic injury. And no matter who you are, that's going to weigh into the back of your mind. That's going to affect how you play, at least, you know, for the first part of the season. And I think, you know, in terms of his pocket presence, so much has been uh, colored by that Tennessee game when he took all those sacks. And, the, and you were right, Aaron. He did take some sacks in that game that he or, or ordinarily does not and perhaps should not. 
but that was one of the rare occasions on this season where he was totally confused by coverage. Uh, you don't really see that from him a lot. He's usually better at either checking out of a, you know, a play and just making a quick hitter or doing something where he gets rid of the ball much faster. Tennessee really did an excellent job of disguising stuff on him in that game and confused him several times. And I think his overall, you know, framework, the mental state in that game was just take the sack, don't throw up a pass for grabs, and we'll come and get him again on second and 15. And, you know, it worked, obviously. Uh, they came back and, and he had almost 350 yards passing in the game, uh, even out of a lot of negative chains uh, conditions there, as we say. So I, I think he's made a lot of plays this year where you do see that magical pocket presence, that Brady-esque just kind of moving around in the pocket to get a more advantageous place. He's still only in his second year. He's only played you know, 20 plus games as a pro. He's not a hundred percent where he's going to be ideally. Uh, you know, he's still a young player. So obviously he's got some ups and downs when it comes to that. But I think generally speaking, his pocket presence is something that separates him. And also the fact that he knows he's going to be under pressure a lot going into these games gives him, you know, sort of a mental advantage from the start. He doesn't freak out obviously when uh, the pass rush does come. And the, the Tom Brady comparison, like it's it's both ridiculous, but I think really on point from a couple of perspectives. It's that like he had he he gets rid of the ball like much more quickly than a lot of other quarterbacks do, but he also attacks down the field. And like given the scheme that they run, which is a lot of shotgun, not a lot of play action, and other things that kind of take pressure away or trick pass rushers. It's a system that's set up to lead to a lot of sacks, but it's also one that seems to really highlight Burrow's strengths as a passer. So it's it's almost set up to create the volatility that the Bengals have shown for the bulk of the season. Like Brady, and I know we hate making that comparison, but there are ways in which comparing a player to Brady style-wise makes sense. He is really good at deciphering the defense and deciding where he's going to go with the ball before the snap. Like I would say that is Burrow's greatest strength. His arm strength is not great. Um, his athleticism is good, but it's not great. Uh, his greatest strength is deciphering the defense, knowing where to go with the ball. That's why he's so good with the quick game out of empty, which is what Derek Klassen wrote about in Film Room today. Um, and in that way, it is sort of like Brady. Joey, Joey Sucks asks, Rob, how is the Bengals passing game in the short to mid-depth middle of the field? Yeah, well, I mean, that's what they're going to have to be looking at against L.A., I think, a lot uh, as we – look forward now to our preview section of this. Um, you know, yeah. that's that's where the Rams defense is sort of most vulnerable. And, you know, I, I think one thing that also reminds me of Brady, and yes, I hate the Brady comparisons too, let Joe be Joe. But, uh, you know, one thing that, and this is true as a team as a whole, and Brady singular, uh, Burrow rather singularly, see I'm doing it again, um, is that, you know, they're adaptable as a team. They're adaptable as an attack. They don't give you the same thing every week. They They, they are very easily sliding out of one sort of modus operandi, if you will, into another where, you know, where the, the defense dictates. And obviously they have a player, Tyler Boyd, who's an elite slot receiver. Uh, he hasn't dropped a pass all season, basically. I mean, you know, he, he gets overshadowed quite a bit uh, in the Chase and T. Higgins, you know, wow plays. And that's not really his game. He's much more of a move the chains kind of guy, but he's very effective at that. Uh, obviously, C.J. Uzama, coming off that uh, MCL sprain is sort of 50-50 whether he's going to play, which is, in and of itself is an upset because uh, it looked yeah, up for all the world that like he was out for the season uh, when he wimped off the field. I'll be shocked. Coming back from an MCL after two weeks is unheard of. 
It is tough. Although, yeah, I mean, if, if you saw him run, they had pep rally before the before they left Cincinnati, and he, he did, made a big show. This kind of been a, might have been a wrestling move, but he made a big show of throwing the crutches down and taking a couple of laps around the stadium. Now that's not running uh, routes against professional defenders, but he looked much more spry than I thought he would. But if we get anything out of him, obviously that'll be a, a bonus. But uh, you know, and and then they, you know, still have a very good receiving running back in, in Joe Mixon, who is you know, kind of another lost guy in that uh, part of the attack. When you think of mixing, obviously you think of him as a bell cow running back, but his hands are excellent and he's, you know, made a lot of big plays in the passing game this year. I think they'll probably look to have him take up some of the slack that Uzamo is not going to bring them uh, up to seam by using running backs uh, to do that kind of dirty work because their, their other tight end, Drew Sample, is not really a receiving threat. So, you know, they, they yeah, have the I pointed out firepower to do it in the middle. I of the pointed game. out in the preview that just went up, but the the Rams are below average against running backs as receivers, yeah. and it's a small sample size. Uh, it's a small sample size, but they were really poor against running back screens this year. Yeah. Steven yeah. says all reports are that Uzoma is playing. I mean, again, if he plays at 100%, I will be really, really surprised. But just um, having him out Danny, there will help, you know, as a, if nothing else, just a decoy, you know, it can't hurt to have him play. And just a, from a mental, uh, you know, an excitement, he's a he's a real team leader and a cheerleader type guy. So having him out there is is certainly a positive, if nothing else. I'll actually take these out of order. Useful was first says, how much will the Bengals be picking on Troy Reader when attacking the Rams defense? I mean, I think the answer to that is a lot. Yeah. Uh, Troy Reader is not good in coverage. Uh, the Bengals linebackers also, their charting numbers and coverage were very poor this year. But when you really see it with the Rams, you really see that short middle of the field where Troy Reader is, is a weakness. Uh, Danny Young says he can't help but think about last year's Super Bowl with how Kansas City's patchwork offensive line could not block Tampa's defensive line. Obviously, it's not exactly the same, but what can Burrow do that Mahomes could not do last year? Well, I mean, there's. I was thinking about that game. I'm sorry, just real quick. I was thinking about that too, and just the difference, obviously, is that the Chiefs suffered several injuries in the championship game and were really patchwork, playing a lot of guys out of position, and had very little chance in that game to really put together any kind of coherent blocking scheme. The Bengals, I mean, their line might not be great, but it's this for the most. Riley Reef got her. It's the same five guys, six if you count the the right guard rotation they've run with Jackson Carmen and. Uh, um, and a Denijay. And so at least they know, you know, each other's where they're going to be on a certain play. The communications issues shouldn't be nearly as glaring as they were with the Chiefs. And they'll at least, you know, at least they know the guy, name of the guy next to them and they can look around and not be uh, completely uh, taken by, by surprise is what the, uh, what the opposing line is doing as opposed to last year with the Bucks. You know, that was just, uh, the game was completely ruined by the, by that mismatch. I don't think it'll be quite that bad in this case. So maybe I'm getting a little bit kind of out there with this, but like I almost feel like Burrow's lack of arm strength, it gives him like a predisposition to make anticipatory throws, whereas someone like Patrick Mahomes with incredible arm strength, his inclination is probably going to be hold the ball longer, wait for something to be visually open, and then get the ball there because he can. And so it's like if, if the Bengals offensive line can hold up for two and a half seconds, that might be okay. And over the course of the full season – you know, Burrow was was getting average rates of pressure and sacks when he delivered the ball in less than three seconds or held the ball in less than three seconds. 
So it's like, obviously the Rams defensive line is going to win, but it, to me, it's all about how quickly they win. And, and like, that's a big distinction there. You kind of feel the same way, Aaron, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, passing the ball in sort of mixed run pass situations will be a lot easier for Burrow than if it's like third and long and they know he has to go downfield because he's there's just going to be a lot of quick stuff. He's going to get the ball out before the pressure can even get there. Mm -hmm. And then Mahomes yeah. just didn't run as much of that stuff. Certainly last year didn't run as much of that stuff. Right. And I think they'll also bring some things that they haven't really done a lot into the uh, into the game plan, like RPOs, for example, stuff that Burrow did a lot in college and they don't, haven't really done very much of in Cincinnati. But just to get the off uh, defensive line, you know, taking that extra beat to think about who, where the ball is going and where Burrow is. And, you know, and that's all he really needs. I mean, the lack of arm strength. We're making it sound like he's Chad Pennington out there. I mean, you know. He might not be Josh Allen, but there have been precious few occasions this year, especially where I felt like he, you know, under delivered a pass or uh, or couldn't get the ball to where he wanted to go. I mean, he's, you know, he, he's plenty fine when he you know needs to get the ball downfield. It's just like you say, there's a certain amount of I, I think you see this throughout history with the Elway types and uh, the guys with these super hoses that just, you know, they, they have such confidence in their delivery and ability to put the ball you know, into a tiny little pinhole of a window that they'll take any chance and that, you know, doesn't really matter to them. Like you said, Scott, you know, Burrow is much more of a mental uh, study when it comes to playing quarterback rather than the physical. He Stafford is much more taking any chance, by the way. Yeah, like there's an aggressiveness there. But it, it does seem like Burrow's experience with Chase from their college days has really given them a real chemistry where it's like, for whatever, however it's happening, Burrow seems to be able to sort of read what's happening with Chase on the outside where he can kind of tell when he's going to be able to win before it happens in like a really profound way that really helps him deliver the ball ahead of when he would need to, you know? And that's a way to avoid pressure. Yeah. I think it's just trust. I mean, you know, we sort of mm -hmm. overlooked that. And even before the season, I was sort of in the camp of, well, that kind of, you know, prior relationship might be a little overrated. But in this case, it's not. I mean, when he sees a certain coverage or if he sees a certain leverage that Chase has, even in mid-play, there have been plays, uh, plays this year where he threw a ball to a spot that did, Chase was running literally in the other direction. And the two of them had a mind meld where he, you know, in mid-throw, turned around and came to the spot where Burr was putting the ball. They obviously have a an incredible amount of, you know, just throwing the ball around after practice time together, much less the actual reps during practice and the games, of course. So yeah, yeah he definitely trusts Chase. He knows he's going to go get the ball wherever he puts it and he knows exactly the spot to put it in. And that's, you know, that's so much more than half the battle. It really has played out uh, much more than I expected this year and, and took the lead by, uh, by surprise a little bit too, I think. Uh, a Kinch says, any chance that Burroughs' national championship experience calms the usual potential pre-Super Bowl nervousness? Uh, I mean, I tend to downplay the idea of lack of experience in the Super Bowl compared to other people. I certainly remember plenty of Super Bowls where one team came in with a lack of experience and played well anyway. Obviously, as a Patriots fan, I remember 2001. But, uh, you know, Russell Wilson in 2013 came in without experience and Peyton Manning had experience and who outplayed who right there. Right. So uh, if there is something to the idea of Super Bowl nerves, I absolutely think that Burrow and Faith having national championship experience helps calm those nerves. 
they have played in games that are almost as big as this one in front of huge audiences with lots of media attention. Like they've done it. They've been there. Yeah. And Burrow, I mean, that's what I was referring to earlier when Burrow is sort of the baseline with chaos around him. I didn't mean his play, but it's the Joey Burr, you know, ice in his veins. Everybody says, wow, this guy is just, you know, so calm and has such a, you know, such a calming influence on everything around him. That's where it comes from. And, you know, he'll even say, you know, the Iowa, the Ohio uh, state championship that he played in is still, you know, as big a nerve wracking event as any he's uh, come up against and, you know, Super Bowl national championship. He went to Tuscaloosa to play and you've seen it throughout this pro season. He just doesn't get rattled. And I mean, that's not something as a metrics based organization we can exactly quantify, but you know, when everybody's talking about it on the team and through even his opposition and people watching from afar who study quarterback play say this guy is different because of the way he just is an ice man out there. It's got to count for something. I don't think the Bengals will lose because they're, uh, they're rattled or make stupid mistakes, at least on offense and at least through Joe. Uh, well, I mean, if there is if there is an effect of that, wouldn't it apply to Stafford too? He's never played in Super Bowl before yeah. either. Yeah, right. He's and he, and he hasn't played in national championship games at college level. And Burrow's so young that he may be too dumb to realize the, the gravity of the moment, right? Yeah. Youth is youth is very uh, important. The, the stupidity of youth can never be overrated. Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, Steven says, I've heard some say that the Rams linebackers and corners besides Ramsey are weak in coverage. Given the pressure Burrow will face, I think a lot of the game plan will be quick and short over the middle. Yeah, that's I mean, that's what we've been talking about, really. Uh, I, Darius Williams is good. I mean, it's yeah. not the cornerbacks besides Ramsey. Uh, Long is the weakest of the three corners. Uh, and Dion, D Dion, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, who's the fourth cornerback. Uh, was particularly bad on like over the middle passes, but um, I think their corner, I think Darius Williams is better than you might be giving him credit for, but yeah, reader is a problem in coverage, but um, you know, look, they'll quit game a lot, but that pass rush is going to get to burrow at some point. They're just gonna. Yeah. And they'll, they'll look for hitting big plays too. I mean, it's just the counterbalance and who can sort of get the one, extra big defensive negative play versus the one big positive offensive play from Cincinnati. That, that'll sort of tell the difference in the game. It has been all postseason, and I think it will. Again, I, one thing about the Rams' defensive backfield that I thought was interesting in our stats is that despite Jalen Ramsey and the way you might think uh, he just blankets number one receivers, they're actually they're pretty mid-pack in terms of uh, DVOA. Yeah, they move Ramsey around a lot and use him against they, – they use him in a lot of different ways. It's not – he does not strictly drape the other team's number one receiver. No. So it'll be interesting to see if he does that in this game since he doesn't normally do that. Right, and it's – I mean, it's not like T. Higgins isn't a quasi-one receiver himself. So, you know, you, you take your poison no matter what you do. I, I don't think – No, with all, with all due respect to T. Higgins, we know who's number one on the – of course, but I mean, if, if, if <laughs> chase and put everything into chase, believe me, though, I mean, the Chiefs found out he can make plenty of plays himself. He, he's he's an excellent receiver, and they'll they have no hesitation in going to him either. Um, I just thought it would be interesting to see if they kind of do their what the Rams have done a lot, which is play zone with Ramsey in a man to man concept to sort of by himself, like a box and one almost the way they play, or if they move mm -hmm. him into the slot a little bit more. If, Assuming the Bengals move Chase down into the slot, will he follow him into the slot? Will uh, they put 
you know, just put Ramsey on Higgins maybe and, and try and double and even triple team chase and take him away that way, the Belichick method. Be interesting to see how they come out. Obviously, it's not going to be all or, all or one concept. They'll, they'll change up a lot because, as we said earlier, the, the one thing Burrow really is excellent at is uh, deciphering what you're doing and going to what, you know, he thinks is the best advantage, the best matchup advantage, and uh, the best counterbalance to that is to change it up as much as you possibly do. Uh, don't forget to make a comment or ask a question in the chat to be eligible for the uh, Homegate Tailgate Nation prize pack that we're going to give to one of the commenters on today's uh, podcast slash live stream. Um, Jim Stickschulte says, Rob, is there any difference in the pass blocking ability of Mixon and Pirine that would potentially tip off play call tendencies based on which one is on the field? Well, it's not so much less blocking because they're actually both decent at it that neither of them are, you know, guys you'd say are a number one pass blockers, but neither of them are sieves either. Uh, they do tend to bring in Pirine a lot um, on third downs. It's, it's not because he's a better receiver. I, I think that he, because of he's slightly better as a blocker than Mixon, the, the idea is that, that Mixon automatically be a receiver, whereas Pirine gives him a little bit more flexibility and maybe he stays in, maybe he go, leaks out for a pass. Uh, T-Ron's not a guy they're going to run wheel routes with, but you know, as you saw, he, he's sort of a boomer bust player in, in the last two games. Yeah, he, he had that off. one big reception. I can't remember which of the playoff games it was, but he, he had that eight, one really big yeah, the first touchdown. He had the 40 yard screen, which was a big play. And then, uh, against Tennessee, the game kind of turned around when a similar screen pass bounced off his hands and uh, was intercepted by Monty Hooker of the Titans. Intercepted. Uh, I'm still bitter about that call, but anyway. Uh, and there was another play uh, during the uh, Titans game where, or was it the Chiefs game, I think, where yeah, it was the Chiefs where Piran went the wrong way on a screen. It was blocked up and might have been a touchdown and he went the wrong way. So we're not talking about perfect players here. But Piran does give them a, a little bit more of a uh, ability to make the defense question what exactly they're going to do on the play, whereas when Mixon's in there, it's either he's getting the ball or he's going out in the pattern. They don't use him to pass block quite as much. Uh, and I think that's where they're coming from. But in terms of that the ability, they're both pretty close. Yeah, I mean, the Bengals, like, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but it, they don't really seem to employ a lot of deceptive tactics on offense no. where it's like when they're under center, they're running. If they're bringing in heavy personnel, they're running. Like, I think for the most part, the Rams are going to know what type of play they're getting. So it's really just more a situation where – can the Bengals like scheme up open players? Like if they're running the trips formations and then setting screens and stuff, like will they be able to get players open in that sense or can chase win one-on-one -on -one coverage? It like, I think it's going to be like less of a chess match than you might expect. It, it's really more about, you know, winning and then how quickly can Burrow make the correct decisions. Yeah. I, I, that's absolutely true for the season. They, they win on player ability more than, than deception or scheming up. I wonder if the only, uh, X factor in that would be that because of Taylor's relationship with McVay and the fact that he supposedly learned everything he knows from McVay, uh, whether or not he's going to, you know, kind of come up with a few, you know, uh, whipped up recipes to honor our recent guest, uh, something that he worked, worked in the kitchen late at night to uh, maybe deceive what, uh, you know, that McVay would had not yet seen before things that break tendency, things that are, are much more schemed up, but, Generally speaking, they, they don't really come out there and try and deceive you. They'll run some jet sweeps to get you looking one way. They'll run some fake screens to get you looking one way. Rams, too. Way. Lots of jet yeah. sweeps and jet Very sweep random. action. And yeah. But where the mean, Rams given are too, like, 
you know, kind of counter off of their their formations into a million different pathways. The Bengals are much more what you see is what you get, and we're beating you with Chase. We're beating you with Higgins. We're beating you with Mixon. Try and stop it. Yeah, given that both quarterbacks are basically the best in the league against blitzes too, it like really takes away what defenses can do to be clever to stop it. But like, if anything, from a schematic perspective, I think the other side of the ball is more interesting, especially with what the Bengals did in the second half uh, against the Chiefs last time. It's just like, you know, I still don't totally understand how that worked as effectively as it did. But like the dropping eight, you know, defenders in the coverage tactic was like. It, I don't know if that was if that was the reason or not, but like it was a very it. interesting thing. I don't think they can count on it doing the same thing to Stafford that it did to Mahomes. Stafford does have down numbers against three pass rushers, mm-hmm. but last year they were kind of average. The year before they were down. The year before that he was really good against three pass rushers. Like I don't know how much it's just a sample size thing. Um, you can't. I mean, Mahomes basically like forgot how to play football. Yeah, in the he, second he half. broken after that. Uh, you play cannot the expect the same thing to happen to Stafford. Also, if they do really light boxes and it, it basically, you know, invite the Rams to run on them, the Rams will run on them. To me, it's, it's not the specific as much. It's the fact that the Bengals defense has been running a lot more like pre-snap motion and, and things like that and starting from, say, like a cover three look, but then changing it up as the play gets started. So it's really more about creating confusion and it's, it doesn't have to specifically be, Hey, eight guys are going to be in coverage, but like, can they switch it up? Maybe break against their tendencies in ways that can confuse Stafford. And maybe that's a way to, to create opportunities for turnovers. Yeah. It's like you were saying, it's, it's the opposite of the way they play offense. They, they do a lot of scheming mm-hmm. and a lot of trickery on defense to overcome the fact that they don't have a, you know, necessarily a chase or a Higgins level player on defense. So they do a lot of, coming up to the line of scrimmage and looking like they're in press and then backing off, but in a different, you know, that the safety will come over and be in a place where you don't expect them to. They do a lot of robber stuff. They do a lot of, uh, like, you know, pretending to blitz off of one side and then, you know, bringing some completely the opposite direction. That's when they do blitz. They, they show a lot of blitz and back off a lot. It's all about to really just that extra half second, that extra beat, making the quarterback check out of his first look, go to the second, maybe the third. And then that's where the pass rush can get home because they're not, you know, maybe uh, the the pass rush level of a Bosa uh, or a Miles Garrett or a TJ Watt, but obviously Hendrickson and Hubbard have had good seasons and they uh, are relentless. You know, they're going to be in the mix on every play. That's the key. So a lot of what I I feel like, I feel like the Bengals pass rush is being talked up way more than they actually deserve. They were something like 25th in ESPN's pass rush win rate during the regular season. Yeah, I mean, so, talking them up. Just, I, I don't know. A lot of people are. The Ringers preview calls them the relentless pass rush. And I'm like, well, I mean, they're relentless in the way all pass rushers in the NFL are relentless. Like, pass rushers in the NFL don't just give up after two seconds. They're they're all pretty relentless. <laughs> Trey Hendrickson is relentless low. because he can't really win with his talent. He, it's a real try-hard thing in a good way. But, but uh Yeah. Yeah, and they're not deep. They're relentless in that they're coming yeah. every play, and that they're they have a stamina wise. They're extremely. I mean, they're they they come at you just as hard in the fourth quarter as they do from play one, which is a little bit unusual. And they don't they don't rotate nearly as much. A lot of that's speed injury, but uh, in that sense, they're relentless. I agree. They're not uh, nearly as gifted uh, physically as some of the great pass rushers around the league. So they kind of have to, you know, do everything they can. And that's what 
that's what they play to. You know, Lou Anarumo tries to buy them a little bit of extra time to get home when, you know, they wouldn't. I mean, I was going to say, I looked at the ESPN pass rush win rate for the playoffs and their pass rush win rate in the playoffs is actually lower yes, than less. it is for the regular season. Yes. They were getting to the other quarterback, in particular Mahomes, because of coverage. Yeah, like it was a lot of coverage sacks and coverage pressure. It was not like winning in two seconds. It was like Mahomes had the ball and he couldn't find anywhere to go and he couldn't find anywhere to go and he couldn't find anywhere to go. And then, hi, Hendrickson is right in his face. But that's a strategic choice. Like, right. It, it's not a commentary on the individual talents on the defensive line right. when you're when well, you're bringing three choice. rushers I, I think and it five blockers. Fits their talent a little bit yeah. too. I mean, yeah. I, again. I feel like everybody is talking up the Bengals defense more than they actually were this year. Let's not pretend that Eli Apple is not a guy who's been cut by like three or four different teams. But I mean, with the safeties and a woozy and Mike Hilton, like I think the strength of this defense is the secondary. Yeah, no doubt. Um, well, and what you alluded to, what their strength has been is that they, uh, you know, kind of, call plays and strategize according to the strengths of what they do well and what they don't do well, they seek to minimize. I felt like they've kind of Jedi mind tricked their opposition a couple of times in the postseason run here. You know, they got the chiefs who were running the ball at will, even though they had a lead, they weren't running it at all. It's like they showed them this eight man drops and it was almost like they said, Hey, Mahomes, you think you're so great. Let's see you throw into this. And he was like, yeah, I'm up for that challenge. And they kept doing it. And it wasn't working, and they still wouldn't run the ball. I, you know, it, and they did uh, some of that against the Raiders too. Game script helped them, but you know, they, the Raiders were running it very effectively, and they kind of got them out of running by showing them, you know, kind of uh, looks at the line of scrimmage that would seem advantageous to pass, and then they switched out of it quickly enough to to make plays when they needed to. And even against Tennessee, obviously, they they manhandled their running game well enough to put the game into into Tannehill's hands, and we know how that turned out. So I think that's. You know, the, it's like we have been saying, it's the exact opposite of what they defensively. It's it's all about kind of getting into the opposition's head, getting into the quarterback's head and the play caller and getting them to do things they don't really want to do. So far, it's been effective. Will it be as effective against a savvy vet like, like Stafford? It remains to be seen. I don't uh, necessarily think it will, but all you need is, you know, one or two mistakes. That's what it's come down to so far for the Bengals defensively throughout the postseason. And if they can take advantage of that, uh, they have a great chance of winning, you know, in a close game. I think the strength of the Bengals defense is flexibility because they don't really have a huge glaring weakness. And it's like, even with Eli Apple and Steven mentions in the chat that he's been a top graded corner by PFF in the latter half of the season, but they're really not putting him in a lot of situations where he would be isolated on an Island. Right. And it's just like the creativity and their ability to, to like move their safeties around and play against the run too. It's just like, it gives them a versatility that makes them hard to prepare for, even if they don't have the individual talents like a Jalen Ramsey or an Aaron Donald. I mean, it sounds um, basic, putting your guys in the best position to win. We, it's a cliche, but it's, it's really true. And that's what uh, they've done this year, uh, as opposed to years past, I should add. Kinch asks, A. Kinch asks, is there a profile for the type of wide receiver who has success against Ramsey? I was wondering about Chase's chances of having a big, big game. I, I do not know the answer to that question. I would have to research who 
who Ramsey has covered this year and who had, you know, catches against him. I, I don't know the answer to that question. Scott, do you have any idea about? I mean, I think the answer is there isn't one because like Ramsey is unusually capable as both like a tackler and as like a press cover man. So like you can't just like throw the ball on a wide receiver screen and expect the guy to make Ramsey miss. Like he's incredibly versatile and that's kind of why he's the best corner in the league. Whereas some other guys maybe are really good against certain types of receivers with certain strengths. But I, I feel like Ramsey's versatile enough that he's going to, he's going to beat a lot of different types of players. Yeah. But I feel it's, like it's, a couple of guys like Mike Evans, Justin Jefferson did well against them, but how much of that was directly on Ramsey and I'd have to go back and look, but I mean, just in general, I mean, Ramsey is maybe the best corner in the league. Is he Darrell Revis? You know, no. Is he Dion in his prime? No, he's an excellent player. But I mean, you know, the league, uh, the passing. And he's not league, used. They are. Yeah, he's used yeah. in a much more flexible way than Dion in his prime he's or Darrell Revis right. Island. They do yeah. move him around. They put him. Exactly. He's in the slot a lot. Like he's 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 not necessarily covering the number one receiver. Yeah. So, so that's why I mean, there's there is no template for a guy uh, other than superstar receiver. You know, I mean, obviously, if you're Mike Evans, if you're Justin Jefferson, you're going to get yours. Devontae Adams had good numbers against them, but you know, they get it uh, that against everybody. So it's not like it's uh, a certain receiver type. Uh, if Jamar Chase is playing the way Jamar Chase has played in some of the games he's played in this year, he's going to make he's going to get his yards and make plays. I mean, uh, Ramsey will have his moments too. And really, if you're Ramsey, uh, you'll take some give up some catches and some yards against you uh, for the exchange of making a big play or big pass breakup when, uh, when they really need it. I think that's what they're looking to do as much as blanket any one receiver. I, I think if you're going to compare Ramsey to someone historically, like it makes more sense to compare him to someone like a Charles Woodson mm. than it does to compare him to like Revis or Dion because yeah, Woodson was sort of flexible in the same way, could do a lot of different things didn't necessarily shut down the number one receiver of the other team. I'm talking about younger, not later safety Woodson, but younger cornerback. Yeah. But I mean, Ramsey in his future could, could easily transition. Oh, Ramsey. Absolutely. Ramsey absolutely is going to be an amazing safety when he's in his late (laughs) thirties. Yeah. He's got a long future in the league just for that. Exactly. Right. And of course the Bengals do owe him. Uh, People only Bengal fans remember this, but when Ramsey was playing with the Jaguars, uh, he got into a big brawl with A.J. Green, of all people, who is about the mildest cat ever to grace a football field. And, and A.J. felt compelled to sl- body slam him to the turf and punch at him. So, I mean, obviously Ramsey gets his uh, gets his trash talk going. So we'll see if how that works out against a, a player like Chase and uh, whether they come to blows. That'll be an interesting problem. The, the last thing we want, the Super Bowl, to be decided by taunting penalties. Yay. <laughs> sort of inevitable, though, isn't it? You know, <laughs> I hate it. Here we go. Roughing the quarterback and taunting. God almighty. The other, the other preview thing I'll point out is just how good the Bengals special teams have been. Like I, I was shocked when I looked at this yesterday because the Bengals have been over 10% special teams DVOA for three straight games. And that doesn't sound that great. 10%. Like that's nothing compared to a good offensive game or a good defensive game, but believe it or not, that is the only streak of three straight games over 10% in the league all year. Like nobody else has a streak that good uh, for three weeks within <laughs> the Bengals special teams. So, I mean, I don't know whether it's going to, that's going to happen again in this game. And the Rams do have an advantage on punts because their punt returner, Brandon Powell is really good. 
Although the, the Bengals' poor performance on punt returns was all um, – <laughs> sorry, I can't, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Darius Phillips. Uh, yeah, Darius Phillips was fumbled four times. Yeah, so horrible. the guy they've had doing it since, which is Trent Taylor, is much better. Yeah, um, but it's like if, if we're talking about game-winning field goals or whatever, I mean, if it's 50 yards or more and it's fourth and 10 and you can't go for it, I would much rather bring McPherson out than Matt Gay. Well, McPherson, Evan McPherson, sorry. McPherson, if nothing else, can kick the ball like ten yards farther. So, like that's right. a, that's a big advantage. But Gay, I mean, he's, I mean, uh, he, Gay's under. I mean, he, you know, because he missed that forty-seven yarder in the playoff game, and he right. misses another kick. I mean, he's been solid all year. It's not like he's oh, bad. Under, from under fifty. I think they're basically the same guy. Yeah, uh, exactly. it's just from over fifty. McPherson is just you can try more with you can try more oh. long field goals with him. Oh, he's a cannon. Yeah, he, he definitely is a weapon. And he's uh, at what he's done in the playoffs. I call it the, the Moses Malone because it's faux, faux, and faux. Old school basketball reference for you guys. But uh, four field goals in each playoff game. If it comes to him kicking four field goals in this one, I don't know how I feel about my chances. But then I, I said that before the Chiefs game, they would need more touchdowns than field goals. Uh, Bengals only have five touchdowns in three postseason games. So it's kind of – Yeah, their uh, offense has not been as good – as you might no. think in the postseason, like it hasn't yeah. been as good as it was in like the second half of the regular season. No, um, congratulations to, to Joey Sucks for being our random choice winner for the Tailgate Homegate Nation giveaway. Uh, we're going to find out what your real name is now. Uh -huh. yeah, you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're awesome. Come on now. A little optimism. And you won't friend. be able to use that prize pack for the Super Bowl, but you will for the draft or for week one of next season. And there's a lot of good stuff in that prize pack. Uh, I was definitely excited to have the opportunity to give that out to somebody. So congratulations to Joey Sucks for winning that. Rob, what if we find out that Joey Sucks is referring to Joe Burrow and has been this whole year? How upset yeah. are you going to be? We'll come to blows. Uh, so that price <laughs> back the landing upside Joey Sucks's head. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I think he's referring to Joe Flacco person. Uh, I was going to say you have to change yeah. it to Billy Joe Sucks. I was thinking Joey Harrington, but yeah. Great, great quarterbacks named Billy Joe were not really that great. <laughs> uh, we should we should finalize by picking the game. I think I know what Rob's going to pick. The line has moved, so it was it was Rams by four and a half, and then Caesars and some other books this morning, because they've been getting more action on the Bengals than the Rams, moved the line to three and a half. Oh, it's three and a half now. Okay. So I don't know whether I would. I'm, I'm asking you about. I don't know if I'm asking you about what you would take with. Bengals four by uh, Rams by four and a half, or if I'm asking you about Rams by three and a half, because I think my answer might be different with the two lines. Um, I can see it. I mean, my my general gambling caveat, and I, I preface this by saying I don't gamble on football. It's long in my past. I've learned that lesson, but uh, I would say that generally speaking, when you're talking about an underdog, you take them because you think they can win. You don't take them because you think they can cover three but not four or four but not three whatever i mean if you think the Bengals yeah. are going to be able to win the game and you know they they certainly can i believe they can uh take them for that you know the the half point here the point here it's a lot of insider gambling talk but generally speaking if you're at all feeling like it's going to be a rams win you just don't know by how much stick with the rams and give the points and you're probably going to be better off i mean i would absolutely take the rams i would take them at four and a half i think they're decidedly better 
And I think they had a relatively easier path to get to the Super Bowl. And for a lot of people that haven't been watching the team all year the way Rob has, that first exposure is kind of setting a an unclear picture, uh, like a misinformation picture of how good of a team they are. I, I think the Rams are going to win by, you know, six or more. Yeah, I mean, uh, the uh, FO plus equation says Bengals plus four and a half. Uh, it would say Rams at three and a half. It says Bengals at four and a half. But I, I think my feeling is more along with Scott. I think that the Rams are going to win by like two scores. Uh, the score that I picked for ESPN, and we know that unless you're that one dude who won like $500,000, picking specific scores of games is a fool's errand, <laughs> except for that one except for that one guy. Um, but... My score that I picked for ESPN was 31 to 20. And yes, Scott Brown, I do believe that the dogs have a good record in the last 10 or so Super Bowls, but that doesn't mean they necessarily are going to have a good record this year. Um, I, uh, I, I refer back to the uh, the meme that's gone around where it's the Rams have the better offense, the better defense, the better coaching, the home field, advantage after advantage. But they don't have this guy that is Joey Burrow, and then they show the uh, picture of Burrow him with the drip. He couldn't be more dripping. I mean, he's got the Cartier sunglasses. He's got the JB9 diamond necklace. The guy is ice cold. And uh, listen, karma has taken us this far. What was the final score of the Patriots-Rams 2001 game, 20-17, to 17, I guess it was, in overtime? Like that, yeah. at, the, at the buzzer? You know, I'll, yeah. I'll go with that. It has all the feelings in the world of that game. Bengals uh, pull it out at the end. It's a prayer bet as much as anything else. But, uh, you know, I, I've picked them this far. Obviously, I'm not going to pick the pick against them at this last hurdle. So uh, go Cincinnati. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for today's live cast. We really appreciate Thanks for everybody who made a comment or asked a question. And congratulations again to Joey Sucks. And uh, thanks again to uh, Gridiron Chef Doc for joining us at the start of the show. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Rob. Despite my picking the Rams, I do wish you good luck in this game. And uh, yeah, thanks for everybody who's done that over these past. May your your hopes not be dashed by a big play out of nowhere in the final minute. That is my hope for you. My hope for you is that either the Bengals win or if the Rams win, they either do it decisively yeah. or the Bengals like almost come back. Like I, we were talking before the show about me being at the Super Bowl uh, when it was Patriots Seattle and the feeling in the pit of my stomach when Jermaine Curse caught that ball and we thought Seattle was going to win. So uh, my, my, my wish is that it not happen to you. You might not see me again. I might just wade into the uh, <laughs> ocean and uh, keep on going until I either, uh, you know, uh, drown or hit Asia. But uh, hopefully the next time we see each other, yes, uh, at long last, at long last, I can say that. We're celebrating play. a first Super Bowl championship. All right, folks, we'll be back on Monday. JP Acosta, I think, will be here. He's actually going to be at the game on Sunday. Uh, Ian O'Connor is going to be here for our usual Monday wrap up, but we'll wrap up the Super Bowl coaching decisions in the Super Bowl. And then on Wednesday, we start doing twice a week, Wednesday and Thursday for four weeks, where we're going to go division by division and do an off season preview. Don't forget splash play today at two 30 talking about DFS in the Super Bowl. And uh, I will talk to you guys at one o'clock Eastern on Monday. Happy Super Bowl, everybody.